On our Christian calendar, this is Trinity Sunday, the Christian calendar moves through various movements of the year. In Lent, we practice self-denial. In Advent, we anticipate the coming of the Lord. At Easter, we remember the resurrection of the Lord, and 40 days after Easter comes the Ascension. Following the Ascension, 50 days after Passover is Pentecost, and the Sunday after Pentecost we celebrate as Trinity Sunday, when we talk about God in three persons, one God, yet Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There's no getting around this is a mystery. It is a mystery how we can serve one God who is Trinity, yet unity, unity, yet Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But I want to call it an open mystery. And by that I mean that we don't have to get far into sacred literature or into theology to get this idea that there is something that is incomprehensibly wonderful about the God whom we serve. It is an open mystery that begins with the word God itself. The Hebrew word, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, the Hebrew word is Elohim. And the dictionary definition of Elohim is God. Another way of saying God is El, like in El Shaddai. Elohim is the plural form. El is a singular form. There are a couple of other singular forms as well. But you can't even look at the grammar of this word without realizing that something is amiss. If you were to take a class in Hebrew, one of the first things that you would learn is that in order to make a singular masculine noun plural, you add the im ending. And so the im ending, the one single dot in the middle underneath, the uh, y that comes after that as we're reading from right to left, and the square letter there, im, is a plural ending. And so, in fact, the word that is translated God, in the beginning, God created, is actually a plural form of the word. In the beginning, God, plural, created singular. You can't even make it through the first verse of the Bible without recognizing that there is something that is both singular and plural about God. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, or in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was a formless void, and darkness covered the face of the deep, while a wind from God swept over the face of the waters. I use the New Revised Standard Version just for consistency's sake. But the word that is translated wind there, you will recognize from other translations, and the Spirit of God hovered over the waters. In both Hebrew and Greek, the word for wind also means breath, also means spirit. So, in the beginning, the earth was formless and void, and darkness covered the face of the deep. While wow. you can't even get two verses into the Old Testament without 
recognizing that there's this distinction between the creator God and the spirit of God that hovers over the waters. Well, let's not go out of chapter 1. Let's go to the end of chapter 1 of Genesis and see how God speaks in a strangely plural way. Then God said, let us make humankind in our image. What an interesting thing to say. Those of you who, like me, are grammar nuts, you will notice that we, us, is first-person plural. I, me, is first-person singular. And so, the singular God says, let us create humankind in our image according to our likeness. Interesting that we can't even get out of the first chapter of Genesis without seeing that there is something beautiful and profoundly moving and mysterious about this one God who speaks in the plural. Let's move on to Abraham. Abraham has gotten Lot out of trouble. His nephew Lot has gotten himself captured and carried off to who knows where, and Abraham has to go and get Lot. I guess you could say he was in a lot of trouble. So after Abraham pursues and goes and gets Lot and comes back with all of the stuff that he comes back with, he encounters this figure that doesn't really show up anywhere else outside of, outside of Genesis and Hebrews and is mentioned, mentioned in one other spot. King Melchizedek of Salem brought out bread and wine to Father Abraham. Bread and wine, not sour cream and onion potato chips, not high sea juice boxes, not a lamb. Abraham, the father of faith, was served by this priest called Melchizedek. And by the way, in the New Testament, in Hebrews, Hebrews says that Jesus is a priest after the order of Melchizedek. And Melchizedek blessed Abram and says, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, maker of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram then turns around and gives this mysterious figure, Melchizedek, a tithe. Well, let's not, let's not move past Abraham quite yet. Let's continue on with Father Abraham. Look at this, chapter 18 of Genesis. The Lord appeared to Abraham, his name has been changed, between chapter 14 and chapter 18. He's received the promise of God, and the promise of God involves this new name. He's a, he's a new man, he's got a new promise, he's got a new name, he's ready to go forth. The Lord appeared to Abraham by the oaks of Mamre as he sat at the entrance of his tent in the heat of the day. Now you're not expecting what comes next. The Lord appeared to Abraham. How? Abraham looked up and saw three men standing near him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent entrance to meet them and bowed to the ground. Abraham 
sees Israel's one God. And when he sees them, he sees three persons. Now, this story goes on, and Abraham and these three are conversing, and they make a a statement that Abraham or Sarah, neither one, are expecting. They say, where is your wife, Sarah? And he says, there, in the tent. And then one of the men says, I will surely return to you in due season, and your wife, Sarah, shall have a son. And Sarah, you do this too sometime. Don't deny it. Sarah's got her ear up to the door. If the door had been open, she'd fall right over. Sarah was listening at the tent entrance behind him. Now, Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in age. It had ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. So Sarah laughed to herself. She probably snorted, chuckled. After I've grown old and after my husband is old, shall I have pleasure? Then the Lord says to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Abraham sees the Lord in three persons who talk to Abraham, and then the Lord is speaking to Abraham once again. Let's fast forward to Isaiah. In Isaiah, we have these beautiful pieces of poetry that are called the servant songs. This is just one of them, three verses long, where the Lord, speaking through Isaiah, says, Here is my, the Father, Yahweh, the God of Israel, servant, the Son the one who has come to set his people free. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit on him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break and a dimly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. Now I'm going to step out of the sermon here for just a minute because this is a powerful word. We're talking about the Trinity, but this is a powerful word for those of you who feel broken, for those of you who feel like your life has spiraled out of control, for those of you who wonder whether this God who is sovereign over all of the world is loving and compassionate, if you are bruised, you are not someone God is going to break. And if your fire has grown dim, God is not going to extinguish the light that is within you. A bruised reed he will not break and a dimly burning wick he will not quench. I'm stepping back into the sermon now. Matthew chapter 28, 16 through 20, the 11 disciples go to Galilee. Jesus is risen. 
He says, wait for Pentecost. Pentecost happens eventually. They, they, they wind up all over the place. But here at the end of Matthew, they are waiting to find out in Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Don't you love how honest the Bible is? When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to him, said to them, All authority on, in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Let me step out of the sermon one more time. Do you hear this? We're talking about the Trinity, but do you hear the promises of God? He does not leave or forsake His children. Not when they get sick, not when they go astray, not at the end of life, not when they breathe their last breath. I will never leave you. I am with you always to the end of the age. And then in 2 Corinthians, the last verse of 2 Corinthians, which is often a benediction that I use, Paul talks about the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit being with all of those in Corinth. So these are, these are the mysteries that show up in the text. Here are some symbols of the mystery. St. Patrick, as he was bringing Christianity to Ireland is said to have been asked this trinity that you speak of how on earth can that be what God is and he is said to have picked up a clover and asked is this one leaf or three and when his hearers said it's both he said now you have an image of the triune God Here's a, another beautiful image here that you can get lost in following, following the, the triune, trinity, unity, symbolism. Another from stained glass. You see the words holy, holy, holy. Commentators will say, you know, uh, the writer didn't say holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. It's holy, holy, holy. Holy is the Father, holy is the Son, holy is the Spirit. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. This is my favorite. It's available in English, but I chose to leave it in Latin um, so that you can dust off your Latin, but also so that you know this is not something that, that was developed in 1980. This is an ancient visualization of the Trinity starting in the upper left moving to the upper right. The Father is not the Son. Moving from the upper right down to the bottom center. The Son is not the Holy Spirit. Moving from the bottom center up to the upper left, the Holy Spirit is not the Father. Now, going from the outside into the center, the center there is, is God. So, the Father is God. The Son is God. The Spirit is God. 
When I, as a Christian pastor, speak to you of God, this is what I'm speaking of. This is the everlasting dance without beginning, without end. This is the everlasting relationship of love between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, also symbolized in this, which you might recognize from the stained glass up top. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit work together. Sometimes we don't get that as Christians. Let me tell you the wrong interpretation of Christianity. The wrong interpretation of Christianity is that God can't stand you and has been waiting on you to get out of line for as long as you have been alive. And boy, does he have a list. He's made that list. He's checked it twice. And you are naughty. You are not nice. God the Father, this is the wrong interpretation He's angry with you and wants nothing to do with you but to cast you into outer perdition. The wrong interpretation of Christianity says Jesus is a nicer guy than his father. And because he's a nicer guy than his father, yeah, he's going to try to convince his father not to cast you into outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. That puts the father and the son at odds with each other. But don't forget, this is God. This is Trinity in unity. And unity in Trinity. The three are working together for the salvation of God's people. And so, to the text that we read earlier, a practical example of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit working together. Paul writes, So then, brothers and sisters, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So we may live according to the flesh. Now the flesh doesn't mean the meat on your bones in the New Testament. The flesh means that part of us that is opposed to the will of God. That part of us that when God says yes, we want to say no. When God says go to Nineveh, we want to flee to Tarshish. The flesh is that part of us that wants to live in opposition to God. But we can live by the Spirit. The Spirit that brings us together that convicts us, converts us, lets us know that we belong to God. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. You did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received a spirit of adoption. When we cry, Abba, Father, it is that very Spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So the choice, we can be led by the Spirit or we can be led by the flesh. If we are led by the Spirit, we have adoption and are a part of the family of God, able to call God Father. And you know you've done that already today if you prayed the Lord's Prayer and said, Our Father, your Spirit, there's something inside of you that is willing to address God 
as father. Now I know in the last 50 years, probably the last 100, 150 years, fathers have not always been the role models that we wish that they would be. And we just have to recognize that there are some people for whom this particular image may not be the best and, and most enlightening image. But we can't get the Father God mixed up with our own fathers or the fathers who have disappointed us over the years. Those led by the Spirit have adoption into the perfect family of God and are able to say to God, Abba, Father. And if we're children, then we're heirs. We're heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ if, in fact, we suffer with Him so that we may also be glorified with Him. We receive an inheritance alongside Jesus Christ. Now, that road to glory isn't always paved with easy stones. That road to glory for Jesus led through the suffering of the cross. For many of us, it leads through ailments we'd rather not have, tears that we'd rather not cry, difficulties that if we had to sign up for them, we would not sign up for that course. But we have an inheritance, an inheritance with the Son. So, hear how the Father and the Son and the Spirit work together here for us and for our salvation. They work in unity to save us. They work in unity to strengthen us. God draws us into the circle of divine love. All right, put your thinking caps on here for a second. I'm going to say something that C.S. Lewis said, and he said it a lot better than I do. So, we're going to give this a shot. If God is one, singular only, then until there's some kind of creation, God cannot be love. Because in order to be love, you have to have someone to love and someone to be loved. So if God is one and only one, the statement God is love is meaningless because before anything was created, there was no one to receive God's love. But, if God is Trinity, if from always to always, God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit dancing together in this never-beginning, never-ending love, then to say God is love is to say that God invites us into this dance that never began and will never end, into this relationship of love and kindness and compassion, if God is Trinity, then there has always been a deep, abiding, and perfect love between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the love that you and I are invited to enjoy takes us into that love and makes us a part of that family and leads us to life everlasting. 
I don't know where you are in your relationship with God, but I can tell you that God wants to save you. Not just God the Son trying to twist the Father's arm. Not just the Spirit. But God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all out to invite you to step into this life, into this love, into this promise. Find some way of recognizing the Trinity this week. There are many ways you can recognize the Trinity. I always love looking at, at a candle. The bottom of the candle is either clear or kind of blue, and then in the middle, in the middle there's this lighter orange, and then at the top there's this bright orange. And so if you have a candle in front of you, you can very often see that the flame is three at one. If you play the piano, you can sit down and you can play G, B, D. Three different notes, but the, the chord of G, that if you take that, you can do beautiful things with the notes that comprise any particular key on the piano. God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit practically, practically want to love you and change your life. Practically, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit wants to invite you in to a love that never began, to a love that will never cease. Will you step into that? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.